All right. So last week, I started uh, the, the message in, in John 10, and I had no intention of there ever being a part two. In fact, I, had, I typed out three other sermons this week, and then Friday morning, the Lord dropped this one on me and said, this is the one. So uh, we're going to start in John 10 again with the same scripture we opened up last week with. And for those of you who weren't here last Sunday, I'll give you a little bit of a recap of, of last week, and then we'll, we'll move forward to part two. John 10, 31 to 39. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. That's Jesus. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? So, the Jews are, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, are going to kill Jesus. And he says, I've done lots of miracles. Which miracle are you killing me for? And they said, we're not killing you because of your miracles. We're killing you because you say you're the Son of God. You're blaspheming. And he says, this very mysterious quote here, he says, isn't it written in your scripture, you are gods? And he's actually quoting Psalm 82, and it does say that. Psalm 82, we looked at the entire psalm last Sunday. It says, we are gods. We are all children of the Most High, is what it says. He's not taking it out of context. He's not adding any meaning. He says to them, your own scripture says, we're all gods, so why are you killing me because I say I'm the Son of God? So last week, we, we went through that scripture, and I say again, as I said last week, I don't claim to fully understand this. Because obviously we are not like God in that we cannot create matter out of nothing. We're not perfect. We're not receiving worship. Uh, we cannot save ourselves nor raise ourselves from the dead. So the question last week is what could he possibly mean? And I don't claim to understand exactly what Jesus means. But I said last week there is one way in which God has created us on equal par with him and that is that we get to define and choose our own life. We can believe what we want to believe, and we can do what we want to do apart from his will. And he has placed us on equal footing with himself in that we get to define our own existence by the choices we make, the faith we have or don't have, the actions we take or don't take. He has placed us on equal footing with him in that regard that he does not control us he has set us free because if he says, I love you and I sent my son to die for you and I want you saved and you say, uh, I don't need saved and I don't believe all that religious garbage, who wins? You do. If he says, I'd like you to give this money and you say, no, who wins? You do. If he says, I'd like you to sell your house and move off and be a missionary and you say, that scares me. Who wins? If he says, I'd like to set you free from, from pot or porn, and you say, no, I'll keep doing that, thank you very much. Who wins? You are equal to God. In your own existence, in your own life, 
you get to choose how you live, what you will do, what you believe. And as I posted on Facebook yesterday, you're totally free to choose, but you're not free from the consequences of those choices. But we are completely free to choose. Psalm 82, which Jesus is quoting here, makes it very clear that even when it says we are gods, it says God judges amongst the gods. And that each of us will die and be judged by him. So we're not free from the consequences of our choices, but we get to define our own existence by our choices and attitudes and outlook and vision and faith and our diet and our work and our courage or not and our job and our finances and, and all of that. And some of you actually didn't get any objections last Sunday. You all were really excited. I got more fiery feedback than I've gotten in a while. But some of you might be thinking, well, but okay, so I understand that I'm free to choose yes or no to God, but I have chosen Jesus and, I, and he is my Lord and Master and he directs my steps now. So you haven't sinned since you've been saved? Even when you say Jesus is Lord, you're still in charge. You and I choose whether we're going to obey or not. And every moment of every day is that choice, and it's not God's choice. It's ours. So yes, as long as we continue to choose, yes, I will obey, then he is Lord and Master, but probably at least daily, if not hourly, we take that control back and call our own shots. So even for those of us who would say, Jesus is Lord, I've given my life to him, and you're obeying with the best of intentions and the purest heart you know to have, there are still times when we are our own God. So Jesus is right here. So again, I'm not saying that I understand this fully, and I'm not saying that the way I'm applying it is what Jesus meant. I'm just taking his statement to us that he says the scripture must be fulfilled that we are God's. And I'm saying that we are that free and we are that responsible and that God respects our freedom that much that he will never possess us. He will never override our, our will. He may haunt our conscience very thickly, and he does, but he will not override our will and take control. Even though they would not like that, and that would, like, that would be a lot easier. He won't do that. He respects your individuality that much. That's pretty amazing. So, that's all last week. Recap. If you weren't here, you can listen to it online. So Jesus says, you are God. And as I elaborated last week, I said we get to define our own existence by our choices in our actions and in our beliefs and our attitudes and that we've become a self-fulfilling prophecy. The way we see the world, either through depression or negativity or faith and joy, creates the reality that we live in. Based on what we expect to find, we find it. If we expect to be angry at the government all the time, then that's what you will be. If you expect that things will work out, then they will. If you expect that every day is a rain cloud, then that's what you will find. Jesus said, you are gods. And he's given us autonomy of our own beliefs and our will and our freedom, and he won't trespass that even in his own church. He stands outside the door knocking, waiting for us to open up. He's that gentle and non-controlling. 
of what we will do or believe. He waits to be invited. He waits for us to open up to Him. If anyone will open, I will come in. That's what He says in Revelation. So this morning, if it's true that you are really in that much responsibility and in that much charge of your life, and if Jesus has that much respect for your individuality and your freedom and that much trust in the gospel and in you to make the right choices, then here's his word this morning. Quit being weak. You are God's. Quit being a victim. Quit your whining and make your life. Quit blaming circumstances and other people for what you don't have or what you're not doing or why you can't change your character or save money or lose weight or have a peaceful marriage or run your own business. Quit chickening out. Quit taking the Lord's name in vain. When the Lord said, don't take my name in vain, he didn't mean don't cuss which of course is wrong. I hate it when people use my name, my Lord's name as a swear word. makes me want to bust their nose. But he did not mean don't cuss. He means don't take my name and then do nothing with it. Don't say you're a Christian and then not live in victory. Weakness is to be our confession, not our identity. Let me say that again. That weakness is our confession. It is not our identity. Our weakness is never to be an excuse or a boast. Some of you have made brokenness your identity instead of wholeness. You're constantly speaking stress and how tired or weak or sick or you're speaking fear or blame or anger. And some of it is real, but a lot of it is just a naked ploy for attention and sympathy. But you identify with poverty and fear and sickness and weakness and your sin habit instead of richness and fullness and boldness and health and righteousness. Jesus said, I've made you gods. Live and think like one. I realize that there is a let go and let God message that you all have heard before, it is 101% true that we need to admit, I can't do it, Jesus, you do this. But that message gets preached a lot. And I totally realize that there is a prideful, fleshly, selfish attitude about making life happen without consulting God or ever confessing that I have needs or weaknesses. But this morning, what I am attacking is this false humility that is a gross affront to Jesus that manifests itself as permanent weakness it's this fatalistic victim mentality, a refusal to take action in faith. It's an embracing of brokenness that excuses sin and inaction, and it refuses to be healed or strengthened or held accountable. Where confessing sin or I can't do it without God becomes something to brag about that excuses never actually succeeding in being righteous. You are God's. Live like it. 
you are filled with the Spirit of God. Think like it. Speak like it. Act like it. Brokenness is our confession, not our identity. 2 Corinthians 6.1 says, We plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Jesus died so you can be free from sin. Not so that you can continually say, Jesus loves me even though I'm a sinner. Of course you're a sinner. We all are. Quit bragging about it. Live in victory. Don't receive His grace in vain. Have some faith. I'm really in a very good mood this morning. I'm really, really excited. I'm really, really excited. I am. Joel 3.10 says this, Let the weak say, I am strong. Notice it does not say, Get on Facebook and talk about how weak and tired and sick you are. Let the weak say, I am strong. Hey, all right. Next one. 2 Corinthians 12.10 When I am weak, then I am strong. What I am saying to you this morning does not is not fake strength. It isn't putting up a front that I'm not weak and don't have needs. It is, have some faith when you are weak. Then he will be strong in you. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, You, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Come on. Yes, he loves us in our sin. He loves us in our brokenness. He loves us in our need. But he doesn't leave us there. If you've been walking with God for more than two weeks, you should have changed. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's read that together. One, two, three. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you find yourself saying or whining or crying or posting anything different than that, shut up! For your own good, stop yourself and say this only and believe it. It's the Word of God. Live in some victory. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Yes, the devil will attack. You will have terrible days. You will have circumstances that are extremely painful or trying. Don't whine about it. Put on the armor of God and be strong. You will win. Romans 8, 35 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only thing that can separate you from the love of God is your own belief, your own attitude, your own actions. Because Jesus said, you are God's. You can choose. 
how you want to exist. But this verse says he has made us more than conquerors. We are not undergoers. We're not even overcomers. We are more than conquerors. Think like it, speak like it, live like it. Being strong in the Lord is not denying our problems. It is not faking some false strength that you don't have. I'm not talking about putting on a fake front that everything is okay when it's not. But faith never makes excuses. It does not identify with weakness. It does not complain or vent on Facebook. A strong, faithful, full of the Spirit and power person will cry and feel broken and be exhausted and be tempted to quit and feel unqualified and forgotten. But you will recognize that this is temptation. It is a satanic pity party. I said it is a satanic pity party. Let me say it again. It is a satanic pity party of discouragement planted to keep you from victory. And real faith will shake it off and get back to work. Never, 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 never feel sorry for yourself. But Mitch, Paul said to boast in our weaknesses. Yes, he did. Let's look at that again. 2 Corinthians 9, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. He said, God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for in my strength, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Yes, Paul said he would boast in his infirmities. He would take pleasure in his weaknesses, knowing that God will fill the difference and make him strong. He doesn't say, I will brag to my friends or complain on Facebook about how weak and tired or stuck in sin I am. It's because he's giving God the glory for the strength. You cannot look at all of Paul's writings and all of his life and see anything about a man who thinks weak or broken or I can't do it or God isn't enough. Jesus said, you are God's. And again, I don't know what that means and I don't say that my interpretation this morning is or last week is the only way to interpret that. But I am saying, as I said last week, I am saying God has put us on equal par with himself to determine our own existence, to determine the course of our life and our own choices create our life. If you go down this path, you will end up there. If you go down this path, you will end up there, and it's your choice. And yes, he has a will, and he has a perfect plan, and he has a desire, but it's totally we're totally free to choose or not. If we say no, we will win for now. We will answer for it on Judgment Day, but for now, in this life, we, we determine where we go and where we end up and what we accomplish. We are that free. We are that responsible. God respects us that much. So again, some of you would say, but, but Mitch, God tells me what to do. Well, yes, amen, he does. This is in full of instructions, and this is full of instructions. 
from his Holy Spirit. Of course he does. He directs our paths. But again, it's our choice. And God is not a dictator and he is not a micromanager. It has been my experience as a pastor, and Chris Vallotton has a teaching that he does. Chris Vallotton from Bethel Church uh, has a teaching he does where he says, and I agree completely because I've run into this myself, but the people who, who say that the Holy Spirit leads them in every little decision in life are, are not following the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's not a dictator. Chris <laughs> tells the story of a man in their church who down to the, what color of underwear to wear in the day. Like The Holy Spirit told me to pick up this pair out of the drawer. And he's like, really, that man was the most unteachable, unleadable, unsubmissive person in the entire church because nothing he did was wrong. Everything he did was perfect because the Holy Spirit told him to do it. And it was really gross arrogance, not being led by the Holy Spirit. The, whole, the Bible, the New Testament calls it a familiar spirit. It's a demon. It is not the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit will direct us, but he is not a micromanager. He is not a dictator. We are free to live our life. Manning Liebscher says, the light is always green unless it's red. We're free to go unless the Lord says stop, not the other way around. So I tell you, stop waiting on Jesus to fix your life. Take action and fix it. You believe you just heard a pastor say, stop waiting on Jesus? Okay, you remember... Um, Josh's dramatic healing back in April. Was it April? Yeah, it was April. Yeah. Everybody remember that? He was in horrendous pain and sickness and no doctor answers and uh, was not able to come to work. And, and he told you this story, and I spoke with him this week. I got his permission to reshare it. But he told you this story when it happened that I called him and I, I rebuked him soundly. And as he told you, I, I wasn't angry. I didn't chew him out but I was very bold to say very plainly uh, what the Lord told me to tell him and and what had been going on is he'd been going to see this doctor and this specialist and this doctor and this doctor and there was praying and there was this natural health approach and there was this then this and this and and he just as we talked over about a course of two weeks it was there was there was no action and it was just weighing all the options and it was there was responsibility being put on this doctor while I'm waiting on this prognosis and this test and this doctor. And, and there was just the day that, that I called him. I, I just, on my way into work, I started to burn. And I'm like, I got to call him and, and tell him, stop waiting on everybody else, including Jesus, and own your problem and fix it. Take action. And he told you that when he received that and repented of fear, he was instantly healed. You remember the story. It was off medication the next day. So, of course, you know, when I say stop waiting on Jesus, I don't mean don't consult Jesus. I mean, if you have a problem, do what you know to do to fix it. You're in charge of your life. Yes, consult Jesus, pray and ask for his direction, but don't twiddle your thumbs in the meantime. Own your problem and own your success. I have a person who, whatever a problem, and there's a particular big problem that is continual in her life, and it's always, well, we just have to pray and wait on Jesus, and at the right time, he will fix it. 
Well, that hasn't worked in 40 years. Because what she needs to do is have a family meeting and address the problem. And speak up and be bold and honest and say, this is not going to happen anymore. But instead she's waiting on Jesus. And it's really fear cloaked as spirituality and her prayers turned into manipulation instead of honest prayer. Own your problem. Own your success. So yes, the very first thing you should do in any situation is pray and ask God for guidance and help. Pick your priorities. Pick them very wisely because you will answer for them on Judgment Day. But then, do what you know to do. Quit waiting around to win the lottery. Watch for God's direction and wisdom. And yes, be humble and teachable and directable and willing to admit that you might be wrong. Be meek and submissive and obedient and helpful and be patient for long-term Vision, whether your, your problem that you need to address is weight loss or training for ministry or building a successful business. You've got to have vision for long-term, decades-long dedication and determination. But be bold. Take action. Quit waiting on God to fix something that's your responsibility. Courage is not pride. David's brothers thought that it was. But David... I'm talking about when he said, oh, I'll go fight Goliath. His brothers accused him of being arrogant. But really, he was more humble than anybody else because he's like, God can do it and he can use me. Boldness, courage is not pride. And assertive action is not presumption. Fix your problem. You'll notice in the Gospels, as Jesus encounters this person or that, or this demonized man, or this woman at the well, or this crowd, and it's, it always says, as he went down the road. And you've heard people preach on this before, maybe, it's like, God can't steer a parked car. There's so many Christians will pray and then wait and do nothing. No, pray and then start down the road, and God will direct your path. Proverbs says it over and over again, God will direct your steps. You've got to be stepping. Well, no, I don't know what to do because God hasn't answered my prayers yet. Move! Make a decision and take some action and God will direct it. He will direct your steps, not your standing. He will direct your faith, not your fear. He will direct your courage, not your wimpiness. He will direct your freedom, not your bondage to, oh, I don't know what to do. Well, what if I make a mistake, Pastor Mitch? You've already made a million and a half. What's one more? Seriously, he's not going to stop loving you if you make a mistake. If you're honestly trying to find his will and obedience, if you've prayed for three months about something, quit praying and take action, and he will answer your prayers. In no way am I saying chase off your dreams and make your dreams happen without consulting God. I'm saying if you've consulted God, then move. And he will steer you where you should go. Be intentional, take action, do not just let life happen to you. You create your life by your decisions, your attitudes, your beliefs, your actions. You know me, and I know you. And you know I don't mean ignore God and do what you want. 
You know I don't mean take off on a wild hair and do something stupid. But I'm talking about the person who has prayed and consults God and honestly in their heart wants to obey Him, but then is frozen with fear of, oh no, what if I miss God? Or what if I get it wrong? Or, well, God hasn't answered my prayer. Just move. Do what you want to do and God will say yes or no. I just found this this morning. Thank you, Eric. Calvin and Hobbes, the best of the best ever. Calvin says to Hobbes as they're flying down the hill in the wagon, the truth is most of us discover where we are headed when we arrive. Now there is profound good truth in that, but there is also profound, terribly sad truth that most people don't know where they're headed until they end up at the end of their life and it's, well, this is where I got to. And instead of making intentional decisions and prioritizing their life and living according to what is in their heart and what is in God's will, they just let life happen and then blame it on God. Well, I didn't know. Or I guess this is his will and it's what he wanted to happen. Calvin is speaking some profound truth there. And there is a beauty to that because there are things in life that happen that we didn't plan and didn't know were coming and it's God's surprises, and and they're great. And there are, I totally understand, there's things that are outside of our control that were done to you. We talked about that last week. You can still create your own reality with forgiveness. You can live in forgiveness like that sin was never done to you. You can listen online if you need to hear that whole thing again. But there's a sad truth, too, that most people just end up where they end up. Take action. We have to move ourselves. We have to move from seeing ourselves as unfree and limited until God tells us exactly what to do to I'm free to do whatever I want in God and, and God will steer me in the right direction. Paul was not afraid to make plans in ministry. He's on a mission trip. He's going this way. And in the night, he has a dream from the Holy Spirit. A man from Macedonia says, no, come over here. And Paul didn't say, oh, man, I missed God. He's like, well, well, we'll just turn direction. We'll go where God says to go today. He's like, well, I shouldn't have made those plans. That was a terrible mistake. No, it wasn't. He was moving, and God directed him. Take action. Own your life. You get free from sin. Quit waiting on God to do it. Jesus said, cut your hand off or your eye out, if that's what it takes. The New Testament says, cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh. James says, wash your own hands, you sinners. Jesus described the sinner praying, he beats his breast. Paul says, I beat my body to keep myself from sin. That's some pretty intense personal responsibility. Not so many amens on that one. We'd really like God to just take the temptation away. Just set us free. And he does. But he's put his spirit in us and we are not living after the flesh. And if we do, it's a choice, folks. You take action in ministry. In Matthew 25, I won't take time to read it. I was going to, but I won't. Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents. 
Jesus tells a story of himself and his servants, but he tells a story of a servant master who gives money to his servants and then he goes away on a long journey to receive a kingdom and when he returns, he settles accounts with his king with his servants and I do need to read this. Some of you aren't going to receive it unless you hear it in the actual word for word scripture. Here we go. Cuz this is going to blow your mind. Matthew 25 the whole story is verses 14 to 30, but I'll just read. We'll start in verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had, the first servant, he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents, and look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And the story goes on. Okay, I'm going to assume that 98% of you have heard this story before. All right, Jesus, speaking of himself in this parable, this master gives his servants money, and he leaves, and he comes back. And the, the first servant brings him his, a talent is a gold coin in the Roman Empire. He brings him his five talents and five more. And the servant says, I took your talents and I gained five more. Oh no, Mitch, all glory to Jesus. It's all Jesus. No, as Bill Johnson says, no, it, your life ain't that good. Your singing is not that good. Jesus gave the first servant five talents and the servant comes back and says, I earned five more. The second servant says, you gave me two and I made you more. Not only does the master in Jesus' story not rebuke them and say, no, it's by my grace that you did that. You didn't do anything, you worms. I did it all. Not, that's not in the story. In fact, Jesus is telling the story and he puts those words in his servant's mouth. In the story. What is my point? Stop waiting around to do something. You do something. To serve your master and earn him more money. And I don't mean earthly money. You know what I mean. Give him a return on his investment. The master, when he left, did not tell them what to do. He just expected them to trial and error, do whatever you want, whatever you know best, do it and earn my kingdom some profit. If you're waiting around for instruction from God on how to minister in your life, read this book and do what it says. Well, God didn't tell me to do this or do that or help that person or give that money. You might read the skin. <laughs> Jesus doesn't take any offense at all that they say, his servants say, here, Jesus, you gave me this and I did this with it and I accomplished this. Jesus is not, he is not angry that we would accomplish something. The spirit of religion wants people to not accomplish stuff. And in false humility, it's all glory to God. 
which of course, yes, all glory to God, but not in that false humility way that keeps everybody from doing anything, from being bold and taking action. Get on with your life. If you have a ministry dream, do what it takes to get there. If it's not God, He will stop you. If you ignore Him trying to stop you, He will stop you. And you will wish you had listened. But in the meantime, making mistakes is better than doing nothing. If you're honestly trying to serve Him, I'm not talking about sinning on purpose. I'm talking about taking bold faith action and you're, you're wrong in what you think it is the Lord wanted you to do. So what? He'll direct your steps. In your family, in your job, your dream business, your financial goals, your body goals of diet and exercise, or whatever it is, again I say, pick your priorities wisely. God probably doesn't care that much about your bodybuilding or your RV. It's not sin. It's not eternal. Pick your priorities wisely, but pick your priorities and go for it. Hebrews 10.38 says this, The just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. God likes bold people. God likes brave people. God likes, God likes Donald Trump. I'm not telling you to vote for him. I'm not in any way telling you to vote for him. But Donald Trump has a freedom that no, he's popular because he has a freedom that other politicians don't have. God likes Christians who have a freedom that other Christians don't have, who are bold and will go and accomplish and take risks and lay out money and time on projects that might fail. But we're going to do it because it might work. It might really benefit Jesus. It might actually accomplish something. I can't believe I just brought up Donald Trump. <laughs> if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. God is not cool with timidity or fear or laziness or the legalistic mindset that keeps us from doing something because we might mess up. Be brave. Be willing to take risks to earn Jesus a profit on what he put inside of you. Be bold to take action. Stop waiting on him to fix your problem. You fix your problem. Yes, there are times when he comes in and totally rearranges a marriage. But usually, that's you and your husband. Need to take care of that. Sometimes he rearranges somebody's finances or job situation, but usually you take care of it. Own your problem. Be responsible for your success. Take action. And yes, there are times of dramatic deliverance and soul healing and freedom from demons and sin. But in everyday life, it's my choice. I know I can't go to the bar if I'm a former alcoholic. I know I can't go to the computer if I'm a former porn addict. Or 
I know that I have a problem with gossip, so I can't talk to that person. The Holy Spirit will not possess you and make you stop sinning. You own your problem and be responsible to stop it. Instead of bragging about how much He loves you in your brokenness, let Him heal you. Let Him fix you. Let Him make you righteous. Don't receive His Spirit in vain. It's time to quit excusing our weakness and actually live in some victory. Amen. Amen. Stand up if you believe it. We're going to read these together out loud over ourselves to change our minds, to change our attitudes, to change the actions of our life. 2 Corinthians 6.1 says, reading it together, We plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Say, I will not receive the grace of God in vain. I will not receive the grace of God in vain. Amen. Next one. Joel 3.10, let the weak say, I am strong. Let's read it together. Sorry. Let the weak say, I am strong. Say, I am strong. Even when I feel weak. Amen. Next one is 2 Corinthians 12.10. Reading it together. When I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. In the Lord, of course. Not faking that I'm strong or don't have problems or needs and I can't confess my sins to other people because I'm not going to show weakness. This is not at all what this is about. Surely you got that by now. Yeah. Saying when we are weak, God is strong in us. Next one is 2 Timothy 2.1. Reading it together. You, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And one more. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One more time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Do you believe it? Is it true? Are you going to change? Yes. <laughs> yes, Jesus. Thank you for your truth, for your grace, for your Holy Spirit in us that strengthens us to actually have victory over sin, to actually accomplish success, to have whole families, not broken ones, to have whole hearts, not broken ones, to have forgiven and cleansed pasts, not current and present pain from the past, Lord, that you have given us your grace for financial provision, for ministry provision, for emotional provision, Lord, for salvation of our kids and our grandkids and our parents, Lord, that when we feel weak, we know that your grace abounds and that you will make us strong. When we have messed up again in sin, your grace abounds and we can be strong and have victory over it. Lord, I thank you so much that you know every one of us is broken. Every one of us is in pain or in some sort of trouble. And you love us exactly where we're at, no matter what we've been through or where we are right now but it is never ever your plan to leave us where we are right now. Lord, that our future is different and that it, we, you will make us righteous, you will make us healed, you will make us whole. And as we walk with you, we will look back at who we used to be and say that you have done an amazing work. 
that you didn't leave us in brokenness and pain and trouble, but that you delivered us every single time. Lord, thank you for your encouragement to go and do business and earn you a profit. And that that is completely individual. That it's our desires and our expertise and our personality and our goals in life that you have put in us. That as we live, we multiply your talents for you. So Lord, we commit this morning to be bold, to take action, to stop faithlessly waiting on you and put faith in action and trust that as we step, you will direct our steps. That as we move forward toward that dream that you've put in our hearts, toward the direction that we feel you pulling, that you will meet us there and you will provide and you will guide us and we will be obeying your will. We will be submitted to you and you will be our Lord and Master as you direct our steps. Thank you for this people of bold faith and action. That we are not those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe unto salvation. Thank you for your pleasure and your smile and your hearty encouragement this morning, Lord. We love you. We bless you. We praise your holy name. Amen.